0: Learn more at marines.com. I
1: mean, what's the football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not
0: make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco?
1: You just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for that you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We are previewing all of the week 15 NFL action. Of course, the Thursday night football game. We previewed it yesterday. The Chiefs Chargers game previewed that we looked back at Monday night football that Rams Cardinals game. So go check out the Wednesday podcast if you haven't already. Are you ready to go get into some week 15 stuff? Yeah. Uh, giveaways. You want to get that out of the way really quickly here. Follow we give stuff away.
0: Follow the uh, the PFF podcast Twitter account at uh, PFFNFLpod. Pod. I will stuff this book in the mail to somebody, a random follower soon. And as you see there, the uh, pin tweet is our new charity drive. We don't yet know what the forfeit, what the punishment, what the thing we're going to do. The theme is, but when tornadoes roll through like a town not far away, we decided that that was a good cause to start raising some money for. So the uh the GoFundMe is up there. We'll figure out what we're going to do to justify the money at a later date, but you guys are all awesome for already starting to raise some money. We're 600 I think plus already raised for that that will be going to relief of the uh, the tornado stuff.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. Uh everybody that's already donated. We'll tweet that out again from the podcast. Uh, Twitter account and uh, from our personal accounts as well. It's the pin tweet from my account and for the uh, the podcast account, so you should be able to find it pretty easily. I'll put my own specialized tweet out there today. It's going to happen today. Um, so thanks to everybody for that. And uh, again, promo code PFF. Uh, sorry, NFL Pod for your twenty five percent off. Yep. Send Sam that screenshot.
0: DM me or a- e- an e-mail. email address that you use to sign up, and I will send somebody
1: a jersey. All right, you ready
0: to get into the games?
1: Let's go. All right, week fifteen. It's uh, COVID week. Yes, it's COVID week. Uh, also, it's Urban Meyer Fired Week. Oh, yeah. We got to touch on Urban Meyer. So we've decided this is why the PFF NFL Daily uh, was birth. This is why. So that we don't have to spend 10 minutes talking about the Urban Meyer regime. I think we should do the top 20. So we 20. keep
0: this podcast nice and tight in yes. two, two and a half hours. Yes.
1: Or else we'd be here for six hours. <laughs> We're going to do a, I think that we should title it the top 20 worst moments of Urban Meyer's 13-week tenure in Jacksonville. Top 20, yeah. Is that a good – is that a good title? Yeah. Um, so Urban Meyer out uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Happened in the wee hours of the morning, about 1 a.m. Uh, did they think nobody would notice if
0: they dropped it at 1 a.m.? Like, like the Friday the news point. dump?
1: I, they just did it after the AEW show. right <laughs> after. Like they, they, they prioritized Tony Khan. The head Booker and owner of AEW, you got to go through this is the show. Perfect, sh- you look, finish the show, let's and then at the end, A- let's leave the news cycle to the AEW. Then we can drop this. Yes, and okay. then you drop the Urban Meyer thing. Urban Meyer, former former AEW uh, superstar, superstar. Mm-hmm. Yes, superstar. Stop, former AEW superstar Urban Meyer has been fired. That might be the highlight of his career. Yeah, his 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 Jacksonville career. That was, that was probably was it. One of the best things he did in Jacksonville. That was probably the best thing he did I, in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. We actually have, look at this. This is unbelievable. It's the best thing we he did. And look at him. YouTube. He just stood there and got out of the way. Like, Yeah. That's, that, should, that should have been a lesson, really. He's on Chris Jericho's side here. You got Charlie Strong firing a football to Chris Jericho so Herb he didn't even do that. Off. Whoever. No, Herb just stood there. That's
0: what I'm saying. Like, ben, the, oh, oh,
1: oh, oh. Maybe oh I handed the, him a laptop. There you go. Maybe that laptop had all the good plays in it. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. That the the game, laptop. That, that had gave. the plan for the season on yes. it. That explains everything. Yes. The laptop that he gave Chris Jericho had all the good stuff on it. And yeah. then it got destroyed. In so this, anyway, uh, we're not going to be talking. Uh, we're not talking Urban Meyer until we talk. Until later. Um, about two and a half hours from now, we'll preview the Jaguars-Texans game. And we'll touch on, touch on it a little bit. But yeah, tomorrow mornings, PFF NFL Daily, Friday mornings, uh, we'll, we'll touch on Urban and that whole situation mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. But for now. Let's get to the good games for Week 15. One of the games of the week here: New England Patriots at the Indianapolis Colts. It's a Saturday night game. We got two Saturday games. They're back here, Sam. They're making us work an extra day. Yeah, uh, watching some Saturday games. But uh, you got a nine and three. I'm sorry, nine and four Patriots team. Uh, Colts are at seven and six. Uh, Patriots coming off of a bye here. What are you looking for in this? Patriots-Colts game. Two Saturday games, theoretically. (laughs) We'll wait to see if the Browns,
0: uh, Raiders one holds up with all the COVID cases that that are existing at the moment. Um, This game is interesting because these two teams feel very much like mirror images of each other. You know, they have a sort of power style of offense that most teams don't have in today's NFL. Um, They, they, it feels like they both have quarterbacks that they, you know, you don't 100% trust, even though... We've said before that Carson Wentz has played a very clean brand of football outside of two games. But last season is all too real. You know, it's all too visible in the rearview mirror. You know the specter of what can happen if Carson Wentz just has one of those nightmares. And Mac Jones, obviously, for as good as he's been, is a rookie. Um, So this is kind of interesting to me that New England has zagged while everybody else is zigged or the the, the opposite and they've kind of constructed this power team and are able to sort of run over teams like Buffalo and beat these more finesse style of of, uh, opposition the Colts are kind of the same thing whether by design or by accident and now we get to see two of these teams face off
1: yeah it is uh it's a great matchup actually both teams coming off a bye the Colts also uh were on a bye but the number that stands out to me is what New England's defense has done the number one coverage grade in the NFL so they've scored They've scored a lot of points. They've run the ball. Mac Jones has played a good brand of football, efficient and accurate and all that stuff. But uh, Bill Belichick continues to get the most out of his players. Remember you know Kyle Van Noy? He pulled it. He, Kyle Van Noy has pulled a Jamie Collins. He has, you know, he left, came back, and played good football. What the it, hell is that? These guys that cannot
0: survive outside of New England, even within New England uh, you know, coaching tree defenses. I, I don't know. I
1: don't really like know.
0: both those guys were in the same system, theoretically, right? Yeah. Kyle Van Noy went to Miami where Brian Flores is the head coach and Jamie Collins was in Detroit where Matt Patricia was the head coach, both of whom were defensive coordinators for that player in his previous stint in New England where he was good. Why? What the hell?
1: The fascinating thing about Van Noy too, uh, a true hybrid player. I mean, we talk about Micah Parsons van noy was one of those guys who kind of went the other way like it was an edge rusher coming out of college became a more of a traditional linebacker the last time he had great success in new england he was a more of a pure pass rusher he rarely dropped into coverage this year he's dropped into coverage more than he's rushed the passer so belichick just knows how to press the right buttons when with whatever players he has and put them in right in the right position to succeed van noy's got an 83 coverage grade the top coverage grade on their team is adrian phillips another guy that's just a, a bit of a, I don't want to say reclamation project. Like he was a pretty good player for the Chargers and the Patriots have turned him into a very good player this year. You're getting good play out of Devin McCourty and uh, rookie safety Kyle Duggar. And uh, they've just done a really nice job in the back seven again. And I think that's one, of the, that's one of the stories of the season because yeah, the Patriots offense wasn't the same last year without Tom Brady and transitioning to Cam Newton, but they weren't the same defense last year either. They're back on track there. Um, it'll be more difficult to defend in the dome than it is 50-mile-an-hour winds in Buffalo, but New England's defense and their ability to control the ball offensively is what makes them so dangerous.
0: These are also two of the top three teams. We said this, I think, yesterday, in terms of uh, turnovers forced. Like Only the Dallas Cowboys has forced more turnovers than both these teams. The, the Colts are fascinating because, again, it's Wentz has had two games where he's imploded and had a bunch of turnover-worthy plays. Now, one of them was in the whatever the hell that thing was called, the rainstorm, the river. river rain, the river rain. So yeah. some kind of river, atmospheric river or some ridiculous phrase. Um, so you can, I mean, if you want, if you're of the ilk that you throw out particular games, I would throw that one out. I would say, look, that weather was bad. <laughs> Get rid of it. Bin it. You are of that ilk. Yeah. But then the next week he had one of those games where there wasn't really weather. He <laughs> just imploded. So, you know. He's shown that he will do that. Still, it's there, like lurking on the horizon, is a game where Carson Wentz is just going to start heaving the ball to the opposition, and Bill Belichick has a history of being able to prompt that out of quarterbacks. So that's always there. But when he hasn't done that, he really hasn't put the ball in harm's way at all this season. He's got one of the best turnover-worthy play rates in the league. With those two games, you take those out, and he's right up there with Tom Brady as like the cleanest quarterback in the league in terms of putting the ball at risk. So, you know, our is if he's able to do that and fight off that Patriots defense that's caused a lot of turnovers, the Colts are going to be really hard to stop on offense. Similarly, the other side, the Colts are like masters at this point of that peanut punch, um, force mm. fumble. Like Darius Leonard has, I think, five of those this season. They've got a bunch of guys that are just really good at at punching the ball out and getting it out. And and the, the, the Patriots offense, you know, it is a, it's very yards after the catch based. You know, they are – Mac Jones getting the ball out of his hands quickly, getting it in the hands of receivers, which is great, letting them do the work. But every one of those plays now is exposing those guys to the risk of, you know, a Darius Leonard or a Kenny Moore, whoever it is, getting in there with a punch and ripping that ball out and causing fumbles. Good point, Sam.
1: All good stuff. I think uh, the one other thing to keep an eye on – offensively for the Colts. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but they're third in the league in points per game, 28 and a half points per game for the Indianapolis Colts. They're favored, by the way, by two and a half in this game. The Colts are favored here at home by two and a half. I forgot to tweet this thing out. My fault. I forgot to tweet the podcast. Start, start over. I forgot oh, to tweet it do out. That Get that everybody here. Um, go tweet it out for everybody. Um, so what I, what, with the Colts offensively, what's Belichick going to take away? Uh, Michael Pittman has emerged as their true number one. I could see him garnering extra attention. Belichick likes to generally add extra attention to the middle of the field. Uh, we've seen you know, tight end, you know tight end Mo Alley-Cox be a big target. We've seen Jack Doyle be targeted a ton. I wonder if this is a Naheem Hines type of game. Because if you're looking at mismatches, getting a, a shifty running back like a Hines uh, on those bigger Patriots linebackers could be, could be the way to go for the Colts here. Colts have been kind of hit or miss defensively they started they they were rough early in the season but they've had some good games as well um and they're gonna have to probably add some extra resources to stop the run and uh there'll be a lot more pressure on mac jones mm-hmm. in this game than there than there was in buffalo but much better passing conditions so indianapolis favored by two and a half where are you leaning in this one sam
0: uh i think because these teams are sort of very similar I think it ultimately comes down to which one do you trust more to execute that kind of game plan. And even though the Patriots are the team with the rookie quarterback, and usually that would sway you in that kind of decision, I think I just trust Bill Belichick to run that kind of game more than I trust Frank Reich and the Colts. And that's not even to say that Frank Reich is, you know, Frank Reich is a fantastic coach. I think he's really good. But I just trust the Patriots more to run a sort of mistake-free type of game
1: than the Colts. Patriots have won seven straight. Uh coming off the bye, they're hot. I, do you do you completely buy into the Patriots? I mean it's I I pretty much do. I think they when they when they had challenging tests, they passed them, whether it was the Browns, the Chargers, they passed the challenging tests. They took care of business against lesser teams, but the last seven weeks have completely changed our tune on the Patriots, right? Yeah, I mean a few weeks ago I said the Patriots
0: would get the number one seed in the AFC. So, yes, I'm bought into them, but these are the games. Like, these are the tests, right? The first test was Buffalo. They passed that test. They got they got out with a win, regardless of how ridiculous the game was. This is another test. The Colts are a legit team that can scare a lot of AFC sides if they make the playoffs. And then the next test after that will be the second Buffalo game, right? Prove that it wasn't a fluke. Prove that you are the team that is built to beat Buffalo. If they pass those three tests, I think they are the best team in the AFC and aside,
1: shooting for that uh, that will have that number one seed. All right. I'll take new England to cover the two and a half on the road. Is that where you're going as well? Yeah. All right. Both taking the new England Patriots. Let's go to man. This thing lost a little bit of luster. Green Bay Packers at the Baltimore Ravens. If Lamar Jackson can't go and is he certainly where's he? He wasn't taking practice. He wasn't in practice yesterday. The, he's almost certainly not going to play with the, uh, with the sprained ankle. But if Lamar can't go, uh, a much bigger challenge for the Baltimore Ravens. I feel like Lamar. Look, we. I compared Lamar uh, Jackson to Carson Wentz on the sh- on the podcast yesterday. Horrified. Not directly horrified, Beckett. We can compare without uh, equating exactly. We right. can right. That's allowed mm-hmm. on our podcast. It's I said encouraged. There, it, we there are some comparisons to career path. Uh, however, I do think the Ravens' best chance in this game would be like Lamar Jackson taking over. Right? That's <laughs> like always their best chance, If he just chance, takes right? over a game. Uh, so if it is Tyler Huntley, who's a good quarterback, right? He made uh, fourth and six, great throw under pressure and all that stuff. He's got to cut down on some of the negatives, the fumbles and all that stuff. But if it's Tyler Huntley going here, I'm intrigued because this is the best receiving core the Ravens have had in a while. With mm-hmm. Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown, and uh, Mark Andrews, you've got a questionable Sammy Watkins, but... Um, Ali Villanueva, also questionable. That could no longer the great. That could work in Baltimore's favor. Uh, the average Alejandro Villanueva. That's all I've ever said is he's average, but he might, might be below that right now. Anyway, what are you looking for in this game? Can the Ravens pull the upset in this one? What's the line? I, I lost five it. 5.5. I'm, I'm slowly throwing him in there. Thank you. 5.5. Um, yeah. So the
0: interesting thing in this game to me is how do the Ravens get pressure on Aaron Rodgers without blitzing him? they're kind of in the same conundrum as remember earlier in the season when they faced the chiefs and patrick mahomes usually the ravens are the most blitz happy team in the nfl they blitz they zero blitz a ton with no safety help over the top they they are aggressive that's how they play defense and they've done that basically every time they face the chiefs and it has spectacularly backfired so this game they didn't do it like this time they played the chiefs they went no We have learned the lesson. It's taken three or four shots, but we've finally given up. We're not blitzing Mahomes. It does does not work. He will destroy us. So they backed off, and they tried to play coverage, and it was much more successful. You have a similar similar story with Rodgers. Rodgers, again, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at carving up the blitz. But he does – it's not that he struggles under pressure, but pressure – does affect him. Like it affects every quarterback, but it really does affect Rodgers a lot. This season, his yards per attempt is almost cut in half if you manage to get under pressure. Their offensive line is, you know, it's been dealing with injuries all season long. They keep losing players. They're down to a third string left tackle. Um, Dennis Kelly had to come in and play at right tackle last, ga- last game against the Bears. Like it's creaking, you know. So the Ravens are sort of looking at this game going, this is the same conundrum again blitzing obviously increases your chance of getting pressure because there's more guys rushing the passer but blitzing if we don't get there we'll let Rodgers carve us to pieces so how do we get pressure on this guy cause him problems get him uncomfortable in the pocket without doing what we normally do
1: yeah the packers have done a nice job handling all of those offensive line issues this year so uh look baltimore i thought this offseason They already had Calais Campbell, but adding, you know, Odafe Owe, adding Justin Houston, I thought they did make some moves to be able to create pressure with, um, you know, with four, uh, with Tyus Bowser, you know, getting a little bit more playing time. So uh, all the guys up front being able to create pressure, absolutely huge for the Ravens. And my question for you, right, are the Packers more impressive this year than last year to you? Yeah. Right. Because last year we always talked about top heavy, but they they did it. It was a little bit flashier last year, too. They had a lot of games where they just straight dominated offensively, but much more of a team effort this year in Green Bay. Will that be will that bode well for them when it comes you know, come playoff time?
0: They the Packers and the Cardinals are the were the two teams this season that I've been most impressed by in terms of weathering setbacks. Right. Losing players. Dealing with injuries that would cripple a lot of teams and they've just kept on rolling. The Cardinals did it without New Hopkins and Kyla Murray for a stretch of games. They're now going to be without New Hopkins from the, for the rest of the regular season. Um, they've been dealing with some issues. Green Bay, they haven't had the best left tackle in the NFL. Second best left tackle in the NFL now. Uh, best pass protecting left tackle in the NFL for the entire season. David Bakhtiari hasn't played yet they basically haven't had their best pass rushers, Darius Smith, for almost the entire season. He lasted like a, a handful of snaps in the the first game. They haven't had um, Jair Alexander for almost the whole season. Was it like week two, he threw his shoulder into Najee Harris and hasn't played since. So those are arguably three of their five most important players. Devontae Adams and Rodgers would be the other two, and they miss Rodgers for a game. Um, that's That is a massively important group of players to be missing for almost the whole year and they right now are in still chasing that number one seed and may well get it uh so you it's very hard to not be massively impressed by what they've done and in on on one hand you sort of look at them and say well if that was their baseline if that's all they were going to be going forward you you would have cause for concern but in theory all three of those guys are going to feature in the playoffs like All the way through, they have been talking about those guys coming back at some point.
1: Jair is close. I don't know if Bakhtiari is yet, but Jair, definitely close.
0: Right. But in theory, that is some significant reinforcements to arrive on this team right when they need it most. You know, heading into January where the games are more important, where you're one and done, you can't slip up. They have the specter of, like, legitimate, important, needle-moving players arriving back on this roster that most other teams in the NFL don't have, right? The Cardinals are looking at it and saying, okay, we might have New Hopkins back for the playoffs. Maybe Tennessee still has hope that Derrick Henry returns, but like the Packers are getting potentially
1: three guys back that, is, that are massively important to them. If I told you at the beginning of the season that you could log in to uh, premium stats, all part of your PFF elite package at pff.com, and go to the Green Bay Packers defense page, and their highest graded defensive players would be Rashawn Gary, Devondre Campbell, Preston Smith, and Rasul Douglas, you would say that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Rasul Douglas isn't even on the team. Devondre Campbell's never played that well. And Rashawn Gary, uh, still a bit of a project, who has broken out here in year three. Good job, Rashawn Gary, with his 58 total pressures. But yeah, they are getting great play from Devondre Campbell in the middle of the field. And uh, Rasul Douglas, who just – he fits the scheme, man. he He always was a – he could always jump underneath routes and off coverage, and it's it's what the Packers like to do. It's what Rasul Douglas uh, does extremely well. He's got the three interceptions, two pick sixes, I believe, right? And uh, five pass breakups so far for Rasul Douglas, uh, whereas the rest of his career, you know, not even close as far as grading goes. He had a pretty good year in 2018, but uh, for the most part, he's, he's a 50s and 60s type of player playing at a 75 level. Game-ending
0: interception against Arizona, okay, only because A.J. Green didn't look for the ball, but still.
1: But he caught it. I mean, it was one of those like like Javon Diggs. It may not have, he may not have earned it necessarily, but when he had the opportunity, <laughs> yeah. he caught it. Was it was really and impressive. It was a yeah. really tough play. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the Packers are getting contributions from a lot of different people. And, uh, and, and honestly, Aaron Rodgers hasn't played at that ridiculous elite level that he did last year. But he hasn't had to because everyone else is picking up the slack. That was our biggest question mark coming into the season. And I think the Packers are answering it. So, five and a half. For the, for the Packers, favored uh, favored by 5.5 on the road in Baltimore. Are they going to cover that? Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I really think so, too. Um, this might be the biggest challenge for Green Bay the rest of the season. Or what would you say? Do you uh, If I pull out their schedule quickly. Because Green Bay, if they win out, they're the number one seed. And we talked about how massive this is. They're at Baltimore. They're home against Cleveland. Minnesota again, at home, and then at Detroit. Pretty, yeah. pretty winnable last four for Green Bay to go straight to the number one seat here.
0: Definitely. I mean, you would expect them, obviously, to beat Detroit, even if it's on the road. This is a key game for them, but Lamar not potentially not being there is huge. The Vikings is the kind of game, like, I think that's a Sunday night football game, and it's, you know, the Vikings, a rivalry game within the division. It's the kind of game that, for no good reason, could go against them. Like, they already lost to Minnesota right. on the road. You doubt. I mean, you wouldn't expect it to happen again, but I wouldn't. You could see it. You know what I mean? Like the Vikings are. The, it's the kind of game where Minnesota could easily turn up randomly, throw up a ton of points with their weapons and cause problems. But Green Bay would definitely be the favorites. Cleveland is a similar kind of story. Like they're
1: capable of beating anybody, but who knows? Well, I think the Packers may catch a break here because I think this is probably their biggest challenge yeah. out of the last four, and it might be Tyler Huntley instead of Lamar right. Jackson. Uh, working from home is more important than ever. Optimize your home office with an X-chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. in X-chair. Big X. Once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, that's the DVL. There's no going back. You can see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation. Exclusively designed and made for the X-chair. Exclusive. I'm sorry. First comfort. Extraordinary design. X-chair. It fits any space. So I got it in my home office. I love the performance, the comfort. I love the ability to just put it together, which I did very, very quickly. And I use the massage feature and the heating feature every single day. Works in little 15-minute increments. So you just kind of throw it on. You can charge it right from your computer with USB or right into the wall. So it's, uh, it's pretty convenient and it has completely changed my workday. So go to xchairnflpod.com now. That's the letter X chair, N-F-L-P-O-D dot com or call 1-844-4XChair for $100 off your order. Hundred dollars off. X has a thirty day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as thirty dollars a month. X Chair If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description, and of course, the beautiful pictures right there on the screen. Um, go play around with the customization at the very least. Go see if there's one for you. Color, yeah. style, you know, material—all you can you can customize it.
0: And I see on their site there they have a uh, clearance sale, so now now's a good time to go grab one. Go get the clearance sale.
1: Get a hundred dollars off. X Chair NFL Pod. .com. All right, another great game this week, even though it's an 11-point spread. <laughs> New Orleans Saints at the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, the Saints it, the Saints have beaten the Bucs a lot, even before Tom Brady got there. Uh, but they've won three out of the four matchups over the last two years. The only win that the Bucs have is in the playoffs, of course, in the divisional round in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints won in a walk-off, pretty much a walk-off, the first matchup in the Dome. Uh, Tom Brady with a game-ending interception with a, an opportunity to, to lead the comeback. So the Saints have done a great job against the Bucks, But you've got Taysom Hill at quarterback and a whole bunch of injuries for the Saints recently. So that's why the spread's as big as 11 right now.
0: Have you been bullied into putting Sunday Night Football's game more prominently on our rundown? Is that what's happening here? No? No.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Just because there's an 11-point spread and I called it one of the games of the week, uh-huh. that has nothing to do with the boss's request to listen to Sunday Night Football first so he doesn't have to listen through two hours of stuff to get to his game. That okay. has nothing to do with that. Just checking. Just checking. That That's fine. This is one of the best games of the week. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, listen, my Sundays, what I do, mm-hmm. I wait all day for Sunday night. That's what I do. Yeah. I don't watch the other games. No. I sit and wait mm-hmm. until Sunday night.
0: And then overnight, you watch all the rest. Yeah, catch I, up. I,
1: I catch up later. Because all I can think about is the Sunday night game. Smart. I wait all day for it. Absolutely. And then I watch it. Mm-hmm. And then I catch up on the other 15 games. Yeah. Later. Mm-hmm. Because Sunday night's what matters here. And that's why. Game of the week here. Saints at Bucks. Bucks, Bucks by 11. Nobody would ever accuse you of being a sellout. Never. Never. Never happened. Check me out on the Chris Collinsworth podcast this week.
0: Hmm. There's this. There's several, you know, like the, kind of like the Urban Meyer thing, right? Like, we don't know if these are true or not, but there's a lot of points lining up in the same direction now. That's all I'm saying. What? There's there's a lot of data points now that are all pointing in one direction.
1: That I'm what? That you're denying. Let's talk about the game. Talk about the game, (laughs) Sam. (laughs) As the the intro says, talk about the game. All right.
0: Um, I don't understand why the Saints can't find a deep ball with Taysom Hill at quarterback. All right. So... If you go back to the start of last year, you know we've seen a reasonable amount of Taysom Hill now. And since that time, he's fifth in adjusted completion rate on anything under 20 yards, right? So if you, like, Taysom Hill, the, the guy who a lot of people say can't throw, right? Cannot play, is not a passing quarterback, can't function without the ground game. Taysom Hill, since the start of last year, is fifth in adjusted completion rate on anything of, under 20 yards but last year the deep ball was absolutely horrendous like he just couldn't hit anything and again it wasn't because he doesn't have the arm to get it done it's because he's just late putting the ball in the air it's like he doesn't see it and doesn't see it quickly enough doesn't believe it until he sees it open whatever it is he was just too late putting the ball in the air this year he's just not even attempting deep passes like they're not even there he's not even taking that shot but you need that you you're not a good enough passer you're not you don't have good enough receivers. the entire offense doesn't function if that threat isn't there like it's it's this is a universal truth in the n f l is that if you do not have the threat of a deep ball that can at least bank defenses off, you can you need to be so absurdly efficient at everything underneath that to to succeed and you're sort of seeing almost the flip side of that coin right now, which is You know, teams defending the likes of Kansas City, Buffalo, Seattle, maybe. They're playing all those two high shells. They're essentially removing the possibility of that deep shot. And the offenses are not functioning because they can't be that efficient. That's some of the best offenses in the NFL. So teams are not defending that way against Taysom Hill, right? The threat that he has on the ground, teams are doing the opposite. They're actually defending him as if that deep shot isn't a a threat, as if it isn't there. He needs to show them that it is. And yeah. you need to start taking advantage of the things that your rushing threat is opening up. Otherwise, this offense has no shot.
1: Yeah, because that'll the the run heavy attack opens up the deep passing game. I think your number about the adjusted completion percentage for Taysom Hill and the underneath stuff, I think a lot of that is is scheme-based. Of too. course. It's not just act, but it but it shows I think that's where Sean Payton excels, right? And he's had Drew Brees running that offense, and they do a really good job with like their spacing concepts and just saying, look, you've got four under, uh, you know, three underneath zone defenders. We're going to put four receivers out, out there. You have four underneath zone defenders. We're going to find the hole. And they, they scheme it up really well underneath with the Saints. But, yes, to take advantage of Taysom Hill, the run threat, you need that take the top off the defense uh, type of threat, and I don't think they have it. I mean, I, I keep getting questions about some of my radio hits. What are the Saints going to do at quarterback? And there are next year, right, and beyond, right? Is it – would they make a play for like a Derek Carr or whatever it is? But I think the question's also going to be what are they going to do at receiver as much as what are they going to do at quarterback because they don't – they just don't have these vertical threats either. So it's Taysom Hill doesn't throw the deep ball well. His timing's not great and all the things that you've laid out. And they also don't have legitimate take the top off the defense type of players. So they're not attacking every level of the field. The Bucks the bucks defense goes through spurts where they give up the underneath stuff and you can kind of dink and dunk your way down the field but i think in this one they're stacking the box again they're going to do everything they can to take away the run game and probably the short passing game and making Taysom Hill throw the ball over the top and i don't i i agree. i don't know if they can do that
0: i think they have they have receivers that can take the top off a of defense when you consider it the type of offense that they're running right
1: now with they Taysom can Hill. They run the seam routes and all that stuff, you know, but they like, can run
0: seams. Yeah. Like they have guys like Kenny Stills has been a successful deep threat throughout his entire career for teams that don't play the way that the Saints are playing I know. with a powerful running attack and Taysom Hill a quarterback manipulating coverages. He's old man. How? He's not that old. They I, also, know, I like, mean, Kenny Stills is your deep threat? I know. He can look, they also have bit. Deontay Harris. Granted, he hasn't been playing.
1: Um, when he's out there, he can do it, right. for sure. But like, yeah. they
0: have these players that d- we should have seen a more successful deep, uh, deep ball from Taysom Hill at this point, is all I'm saying. And I think there's been two different reasons, or it, it's happened in two different ways. One, not being able to hit him at all, and two, not even attempting them. Just that
1: needs to show up. Generally, but this week in particular, uh, the real issue here for the Saints is everybody that has been hurt, and so it's not just they don't have receivers. It's you know their offensive line. They were missing both tackles in their last game, right? Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchak. Uh, they're they're all they're still questionable. Marcus Davenport questionable. Armstead and Ramchak both questionable as of Wednesday. Uh, CJ Gardner Johnson questionable Gardner Johnson had an interception of Brady in that first matchup and that's been one of the stories here Tom Brady has something like I I gotta recheck the numbers but as of a couple weeks ago like 40 percent of his turnover worthy plays with the Bucs have come against the Saints in the three four games that they've played against the Saints so Brady as a whole for the Bucs has done a really nice job of taking care of the ball in this new system getting the ball down the field and all that stuff but against the Saints You know he fumbled in the first matchup, had two interceptions, including the game ender. The Saints' defense has done a really nice job against this Bucs offense, playing tight man coverage uh, and just making throws a little bit more difficult for Brady than he's had against other teams. They're the Bucs are going to have to, I mean, the Saints are going to have to do that again. Um, Not having a Gardner Johnson hurts a little bit, but and not having you know Cameron Jordan is he already out? Yeah, Uh, no, he was out on Sunday for COVID. Um, not having a Davenport and guys to get pressure up front, like the more the Saints get depleted. I mean, that's why the line I think is is so so great at 11. Um, the other part here, the Bucs, I've mentioned before, they've been so much better at home, averaging 37 game, points a game at home. But this is where last year the Bucks had their worst game of the season. The Saints had their best game of the season. It was 38-3 or whatever on Sunday Night Football. Uh, so I don't know if home and away matters in this matchup, but...
0: The Saints have been a consistent, like, thorn in the side of Tampa Bay for a while. That's, it's,
1: sometimes it's just the game of football, right? Sometimes it is a it is such a matchup-driven game. The Saints' defense, for whatever reason, they, they match up well. Um, and they also do enough to create indecision uh, in Brady and, you know, in, in the Bucs' offense. All that said, you know, the Bucs—the Saints also busted a coverage to lead to what was the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter against— the Bucs, too, because it goes both ways. But the Saints have had a ton of success against the Bucs. so I think if you're leaning on that, you're saying, okay, they'll keep it close, keep it close. I just think the injuries are pro- like from a win loss standpoint, the injuries are probably too much um, for the Saints to to overcome in this game because the Bucks are a better team. That's the bottom line. They're mm-hmm. a better team, but the Saints match up well against a pretty good Bucs team. So, uh, Bucks have a few guys that are questionable as well. Most of them in their secondary. What where are you leaning on this? Is eleven. 11- is eleven too much for the Bucks, or do you lean on the Bucks' dominance at home and they're just a better team?
0: I mean, it's a lot of points, but I, I think they should cover it. But the fact that it's a division game scares me, and I
1: just I would lean New Orleans to cover it just for those reasons. We're going that, gonna, that, that game, single reason, aren't we? probably. In the last game, too, some of the other stuff that happened. Jameis Winston got the start. That's when he got hurt. Trevor Simeon came in, made some big plays. Um, there was a questionable call that negated... Like, I'm only mentioning this because Simeon's worst pass of the game got negated by a kind of a weak passer, uh, roughing the passer call. So Trevor Simeon's grade was horrible, but he did make a couple key throws that kept the Saints in the game and eventually helped them win it. So um, they, the Saints won with Trevor Simeon the first matchup, which is why when you see the 11-point spread and the way these teams have played recently, it does feel steep. So I would lean... New Orleans here as well. Um, for Brady, just the uh, the MVP race that everybody likes to discuss. Uh, Brady's worth almost, uh, using wins above replacement, he's almost a win better than the next closest quarterback. QB 2 is Justin Herbert in war. And the difference between Herbert, uh, it, it yeah, the same difference between Brady and Herbert is like QBs 2 through 8. Herbert to uh, the 8th best quarterback. In other words, Brady should be, I think, by our numbers, the hands down MVP, unless he screws it up over these last couple of weeks. But as far as like because people like showcase games, probably Brady's last MVP showcase game. Plus, does, it's, this does, it's does feel like a football.
0: weird year where nobody wants to win that award, doesn't it? Like it does. Brady right now is winning MVP basically by default because his yeah. his disappointments or his screw ups have been less severe than everybody else. As soon as anybody gets into contention for MVP, they have a terrible game or they go on a bad run or
1: something happens and takes them out of it. Brady's the only quarterback this year, too, that hasn't had a terrible game. He's yeah. had some bad plays had, and like, moments. He has not had a grade under 60. Like, Rodgers has two of them. Right. And but he also went on a run of, like, four or five games where it was just sort of 60s. Nick. Where it was just okay. Right. Right. And that's the other thing, too. Brady's best games came in the first five weeks of the season. Like, that was his best stretch of play. Um, so, so the timing of it doesn't feel as good. Yeah. Um, as far as like, you know, your MVP moments right. and all that fun stuff. But I still think it's, um, even if you just look at like raw stats and everything, though, Brady's got, you know, five more touchdowns than anyone else. And they're, they're averaging two more points per game than any other team. I mean, as far as a lot of those other numbers that will be looked at, I think it's, I think it's Tom Brady unless he um, hits a rough patch here over these last few weeks, mm-hmm. statistically. Um, so you're going to take New Orleans to cover, and we're, all in, we're both in lockstep in our first three games? Yeah, I, Tampa Bay
0: should cover, but it's a division game and the Saints have caused them problems. So uh, I don't I like it, but yes.
1: I don't know how much past matchups really matter, but the evidence keeps mounting that, look, the Saints just match up well against the Bucs and, and the Saints have enough in the secondary to kind of slow them down again. Uh, was Gronk available? I don't think Gronk was in that first game. That would be one other potential difference, though, as well. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF, bet $1 on any team to score, and you win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If they score, you score with promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're in one of those three states and you haven't done this yet, Go do it. Go get your free $100 in bets. Think of what we could do with all those free bets. $100 worth. All right, what other great games do we have this weekend? The other Saturday matchup, Las Vegas Raiders at the Cleveland Browns. Uh, this is the COVID game. One of them. Uh, mm. Washington also has like 17 players on the list. Uh, so Cleveland, is there talk? There's at least some talk about moving this game. Um, I don't think the NFL wants to move island games, though, as much as possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I don't know if the NFL is talking about it, but everybody else is. They, this is the game where, you know, they said before the season that they were not going to move games for uh, COVID cases on, for, for uh, unvaccinated players. So essentially, if you didn't get vaccinated and you had a massive outbreak, you know, unlucky. That's your fault. You should have got vaccinated. It's, it sounds like a lot of these players were vaccinated, so all of a sudden that opens the door for them to potentially move this game. So now it's okay. We can move it. Yeah, potentially. Um, And, you know, a ton of the Browns are down, not just important players, but also, you know, Kevin Stefanski, their head coach is on the, is, has got COVID. And he was apparently vaccinated twice, boosted all those kinds of things. He's, he's done everything. Great. And he still got hit. Troy Hill, John Johnson, Baker Mayfield, like Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, Wyatt Teller, Jedrick Wills, half the offensive line, I mean,
1: they're, they're in rough shape if this game goes ahead. Uh, yeah. What do we even break down here? I mean, this is one of those I, I half-jokingly say I like to know how the team how, – how does a team play when they have their backup quarterback? How do they play when they have no players? <laughs> um, we saw this from the Browns last year, too. They had the wide receiver room outbreak and yeah. Baker Mayfield's top four receivers were all tight ends in that one game, I think, against the Jets. Um, so they kind of ran into this last year as well where – I mean, when it completely destroys uh, an entire unit, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's receivers, whatever it is, I mean, it just completely changes the game. The biggest
0: impact for them, I think, is on that offensive line. They would now be down three-fifths of one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And Max Crosby's charmed life this year continues, right? The guy is leading the NFL in total pressures by 10 and just keeps finding backup players to go up against. And like regardless at this point, whether the Browns had everybody available or not, just give Max Crosby proper credit at some point, Sam, their right tackle would be a backup. Like, either way, Max Crosby would be facing a backup tackle. The fact that they're then potentially down another two guys opens up space for, like, Yannick Ngakwe to have a monster game as well. But... It's an interesting game for that because you've got Crosby dominating um, all season long. You've got Ngakwe playing really well. And then the Browns have Miles Garrett, who's single-handedly determining games as well with like strip, sack, fumble, scoop and score type of plays. Um, Garrett is going, I mean, the Raiders offensive line is terrible as well. Now, Garrett will be primarily rushing against their one good player, Colton Miller. Um, but this, this is a sort of interesting showdown of dominant pass rushes.
1: Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a huge game for both teams. Too, Assuming talk, any of those players play. <sighs> what, are, what are we analyzing here? It's a whole <laughs> bunch of a uh, whole bunch of question marks. Uh, well, don't Raiders, know who's The Raiders out there. don't have only have one player on uh, the COVID list, so they should be fine. The Raiders should be absolutely fine. The Raiders are six and seven. The Browns are seven and six. obviously, huge playoff implications here. Um, they played in a throw it out game last year. too. remember? It was so cold and windy. Mm-hmm. We threw it out. We didn't even count it last year. Mm-hmm. It was one of your throw them out games. Yep. The Browns only played three real games, according yep. to Sam, uh-huh. last year. This was not one of them. My adjusted rankings. <laughs> They're adjusted rankings. Um, Raiders offensively, they need to get back on track. They were... <laughs> How do they do that? I, I keep... I, I hate oversimplifying it. Like, just throw the ball down the field. But early... Look, not having Darren Waller, you hit on it Monday, has been massive. Right? When the Raiders have been really good offensively they have legitimate threats at every level of the field right early season Henry Ruggs had to be accounted for down the field Darren Waller at the short and intermediate level mostly but very much the intermediate level he was their threat Hunter Renfro underneath when you have that you know all three layers essentially you can attack defenses any which way so you know that's when the the Raiders have to figure out a way to get Deshaun Jackson involved Find another intermediate threat. You still have um, Renfro underneath. But Carr has to take some more shots, right? Again, not to oversimplify it, but Carr has to throw the ball down the field just a little bit more here.
0: Yeah, um, I think you're right. Like Deshaun Jackson is potentially – he's the one player on this offense uh, that they've added that is potentially transformative to what they do. Like the amount he plays – I think is a significant variable in how good this offense is going to be. Obviously, the offense needs to run through Darren Waller. If he's not there, they just don't have they don't have the one player that consistently wins to the point where they can roll and, and be functional and just keep the chains moving. But even if Waller's there, the the next guy that changes things is Deshaun Jackson. And it's again, it's not even he needs to see x number of deep targets in a game. He just needs to be out there. He needs to be on the field to the point where a defense has to look, you know, break the huddle and go, oh crap, Deshaun Jackson's over there. That changes what we do in coverage. That manipulates the coverage. It makes sure, you know, the safety keeps an eye on what he's doing. Everything rolls in his direction. All of a sudden that that backs off the defense and gives them some space underneath. And suddenly Darren there's, Waller has
1: extra space. There's one other point to having Darren Waller though, too. The new age tight end, it's not even new age, but like the great tight ends like a Waller or a Travis Kelsey, they don't just line up a tight end, obviously. They line up out wide. They line up all over the place. Darren Waller is giving you a tell in coverage. If he lines up out wide and he's got a linebacker on him, it's man. If it's a corner on him, it's zone. I mean, you've got all of those different uh, added benefits to when Darren Waller is out there. Plus, oh, by the way, he gets open and catches passes and is really good. Uh, And Derek Carr relies on him heavily. So Waller's questionable. Um, I wish there was just more information, right? You get guys that have, that missed multiple. Time. What's questionable is just so vague and wide. Is it bad questionable? We need a couple more layers of detail here. Um, but either way, I think the Raiders they got to figure out how to create some explosive plays down the field.
0: They also some like they need to figure out how to patch up that offensive line. And I'm not sure there's anything they can do about it. But we saw last week that Chris Jones versus Alex Leatherwood was a game wrecking mismatch yeah like okay most teams don't have a chris jones but the browns have some players that can screw that up like alex leatherwood went from being probably the worst right tackle in the nfl uh then he moved to guard and it was like well he's better at guard he's still bad so alex Leatherwood's season as a rookie has been pretty catastrophic so far they need to figure out how to either get him some help or start thinking about sitting him down or something but he is a massively
1: problematic part of a pretty bad offensive line right now. I don't want to even name any players. Is Malik McDowell going to play? He's Maybe. on the list, I believe. Jadavian Clowney. Malik McDowell is on the list. It's questionable.
0: Clowney. Uh, Tack McKinley is on the list. Uh, so yeah. they're not
1: going to take advantage of anything if all their defensive <laughs> line is out.
0: Well, you basically need Miles Garrett on his own. Like move, yeah, him, move him all over the, the defensive line. Have him just, just move him around. Every play is in a different spot.
1: You're going to do this do. Yeah. by yourself. This will be Miles Garrett's uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Legitimate game. There's yeah. all the players. It's tough. That are out on the screen there. Yeah. Offensive line, defensive line. It's, uh, it is rough. The
0: right Browns, now. I think, are a better team than the Raiders, but the Browns aren't going to be the Browns if this list holds up anything
1: like what it is now, and the, they don't move the game. Yeah, the line as of now is Raiders by one and a half. I'll take the Raiders on the ro- even on the road here because of all the... I think you have to at browns. this point just given all those variables. We're just going to take all the same teams. It's great. It's all good. It's all good. Sometime we'll, dis- uh, we'll disagree. Uh-huh. Uh, this is an interesting line too. Cincinnati at Denver. Bengals at the Broncos. Broncos by two and a half. Again, you know, generally means teams are close. Teams are similar. Uh, teams kind of going in... Different directions. The Bengals, at one point, were the number one seed, like six weeks into the season. But the Bengals looked like they were a playoff lock. Now they're not. They're not. They're certainly not a lock. Denver just keeps lurking around here. uh, And so it should be another. I mean, it's a huge game, obviously, for playoff implications. But should be one of the better games of the week as well. What are you looking for in this Broncos-Bengals matchup?
0: These are two teams kind of in the same place. And the the line, I think, probably reflects that. Does it feel... Like, the sort of overall um, atmosphere in both fan bases is, like, completely opposite, though. The Bengals are moving in the right direction. Hey, we're contending for the playoffs. We've got Joe Burrow. Everything's great. Like, they feel good. Denver might make the playoffs, and the entire fan base is
1: miserable, thinking this is just awful. I, I actually I sense it the other way, which is, yeah, like, a high-level Cincinnati feels good. We found our guy. We got yeah. Joe Burrow. But Cincinnati's also having the like we blew it again flashbacks. Cincinnati's having those types of vibes. With Denver certainly. Like I, I do this weekly
0: Denver radio hit, and they're like, "Why should we feel better about this team? Because
1: everybody hates this."
0: Yeah, like, well, I mean, maybe that's what happens. <laughs> maybe when you a have, little bit,
1: but that's because you have Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Yeah, because you don't like the Bengals can look at this and say, "Well, we're going to be a contender every year because we have Joe Burrow." Let's fix some other stuff. Denver should be saying. We've got the other stuff. The rest of the team's looking pretty good. We've got to figure out the quarterback situation. I don't think we can sustain this year over year. Um, it is interesting, though. The Bengals' defense has been kind of like hit or miss yeah. week to week, right? So I, I don't know. Every week I try to be encouraged by the Bengals' defense. I'm, I end up becoming discouraged by them the following week. Um, but if they, when, they bring, when they put that all together, the Bengals are a very dangerous team.
0: Yeah. Um, we get to see Jamar Chase versus Patrick Sertan. Which is a matchup we didn't really see in college because when they when Alabama played LSU, it was Chase on Trayvon Diggs, who then went to the NFL. So we never really got to saw or got to see what Patrick Sertan would have done against Jamar Chase. And actually I think well, he certainly would have done a better job than Trayvon Diggs did on the basis that the Trayvon Diggs tape alone probably dropped into the second round. Like what Jamar Chase did to Trayvon Diggs in college. Probably cost Drayvon Diggs a round in the draft. I'm not even like that's <laughs> yeah. not hyperbole. Genuinely, yeah. that game probably cost Drayvon Diggs a full round of draft stock. Um equally, I said something like, If you know, Jamar Chase had basically one season of an incredible college career, if his tape had been that one game against Alabama and then just mic dropped and declared for the draft, he probably would have been a first round player. Just that that one tape, yeah. Like, just left, peace out. I'm declaring for the draft. I'm out of here. I think he would have been a first round guy. Um, So we get anyway. We get finally get to see Jamar Jamar, Chase.
1: Jamar Chase dictating everybody's uh, draft stock. Everybody's,
0: yeah, including his own. We finally get to see Jamar Chase versus Patrick Sertan. That'll be fun. I also think so. The Bengals' offense has been impressive this year, and whilst their offensive line isn't fixed. It's definitely it's definitely better than a year ago, but all of a sudden it's banged up and they're missing a few players and it's starting to get concerning again. And when you add in the fact that Joe Burrows takes some hits that he shouldn't and you, you start to get that Alex Smith type feeling of, God, just, just stop, stop getting hit like that. Um, so their, their offensive line is pretty banged up. I think that's a big part of why they've dropped a couple of games like the 49ers pass rush was just getting to burrow constantly was wrecking the game and that's why i think they they always run a little bit more than you want them to anyway but i think that was one thing discouraging them from just turning the ball over to joe burrow and saying go win you know try and get us back into this game denver doesn't really have a pass rush so this might be a sneaky game where burrow actually just dominates and carves them up because i'm not sure denver has the rush to take
1: advantage of the fact that their offensive line is banged up we did a nice Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert, PFF NFL Daily, the other day. I made the um, decision or the mistake to go read the comments in that on the YouTube video. I was actually shocked at how many people came in defending Justin Herbert, who, I, by the way, I, saw, I, I chose Herbert at the end of the video. Just about.
0: What? Just about.
1: I mean, I said it was close. Yeah. That's you okay. you
0: started off with Burrow and then you like sat on the fence for the rest of the podcast and then right at the end you were like okay Herbert no I mean that's pretty much yeah the
1: point. there's some truth there but I, but I started out I say I'll take Herbert and then I made the case for Burrow and then I took Herbert again okay hmm. I was just shocked at how many people went in there thinking because we you know we live in Cincinnati now that we have this massive Bengals bias and all yeah. that stuff right uh, but the the number I keep pulling out on Burrow is what you're saying the hits that he's taken right the pressured. Pressure dropbacks that turn into sacks. He's been sacked 41 times. Sack totals are very are, are closer to a quarterback number than they are offensive line number. It, 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 but your point's good. Like if Denver can't get pressure, Burrow's not going to take as many sacks, and he's going to be able to spread the ball around. Um, also, the emergence of T. Higgins in recent weeks mm-hmm. continue to reiterate that he, like his size. I mean, coming out of Clemson, loved his just basketball, go up and get it type of ability and. The bengals are tapping into that a little bit that's dangerous man the more jamar chase and t higgins work as complementary pieces now uh, all the more all the more weapons for joe burrow who's averaging 8.4 yards per attempt he's number two in overall pff grade right now got a high big time throw percentage so the bengals can be a big explosive offense and not and not be an offense that's just you know joe mixon's gonna get 30 carries and burrow's gonna drop back 24 times i think we could start seeing that switch where the Bengals can start being a little bit more aggressive, and put more points up on the board. Um, and I think they'll do it in this one. I like the Bengals on the road here getting the two and a half because I still don't know what to make of Denver, and I still believe in my hometown Bengals because we're, oh, we're biased. Ah, uh,
0: Yeah, I think the Bengals are going to cover as well because I think Borrow's going to have a good game. Oh, boy. There are some weird lines this week, and the next game is
1: one of the stranger ones to me. Well, Washington's got 17 COVID players. 17 COVID team, players. That's why the line's insane. I think so. Uh, the football team at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles by seven. Oh, God.
0: It's the whole team. Yeah.
1: That's the line. That's why.
0: Hang on. Most of these players aren't that important, though. Okay. Hang on. Now we've got Their entire
1: the... defensive line. Yeah. Out.
0: Now we've got to the important players. Yeah. Chase and...
1: Young and Montez Sweat were already out.
0: Yeah. Jonathan Allen's there. Tim Settle's there. The great David Mayo is there. <laughs> and, um... The great David Mayo. Can't wait to just have like a My Guys show. Yeah, that's a pretty rough list of players missing. All right. What are you looking for in this game? The line's okay then.
1: (laughs) I'm okay with this line all of a sudden. This is a preseason week four
0: game. So my simulation, remember, had Washington making the playoffs. Your simulation did not account for the uh, COVID outrage. So this is what I'm going to say. If Philadelphia sweeps Washington, Philly jumps back into the the playoffs. Like this is – this game – almost determines which one of these teams is going to stumble into a wild card spot. And, you know, Washington, they've both been kind of dropping games that they shouldn't necessarily have dropped. They both kind of made a mess of the season overall. Uh, but all of a sudden, one of them could right the ship completely, basically, with, with this game, or at least put themselves in pole position to do it. Um, and obviously, Philadelphia has a much better chance, given that
1: most of their team is not on the COVID list. Yeah, and I don't know how much um, Green Line... Over at PFF.com, I don't know how much they're, they factor in non-quarterbacks. Like we take into account the injury list and everything, so it's got to be in there a little bit. So Green Line slightly leaning Washington, but I still don't. I don't know if it can factor in strong enough all of the players that they're missing. Right,
0: there. but you can see um, the the kind of the way the line fluctuates on Green Line. It shows you sort of over the, the period of days what that line has been doing, and you can see it kind of step by step by step by step. Moving towards, uh, a, you know, a bigger line for Philadelphia as all these guys get
1: added to the COVID list for Washington. You're supposed to wiggle a cable. Which cable, Tyler? Just tell me which cable it is.
0: You, you can't even be. Tra- There's like one cable.
1: This. What?
0: No, the like the the connection that leads from the microphone into the stand, the big silver thing, right in front of your face. This is terrible podcasting. Yeah, you, I know.
1: That, yeah, that one. Wiggle. Good God.
0: Um, what, I was
1: trying to be subtle at first. Yeah, yeah well done. Smooth. Oh, that's a... Ca- I see what you're saying, I see that. You see? Simple, yeah. You see? The one cable... That you can are we wiggle? any better yet? Just trying to make sure the audio <laughs> issues don't show up again. Uh, there, there
0: are people out there, right, that like week on week are like, guys, your audio's screwed, there's a buzzing sound. And trust us, we know we're trying to fix it. We've been troubleshooting for weeks. Working and, on it. And this kind of thing, Steve desperately trying to find a cable to wiggle, is part of the problem. So yeah, we apologize for our own It's definitely competence. my
1: fault. Uh, Jalen Hurt's still questionable. As of Wednesday, with an ankle, and they've Quez Watkins out on the COVID list, so it's not all one-sided. <laughs> it's not all. <laughs> Miles Sanders, Jordan forgot, Howard, got 17 players Western. versus one. Could be more of a Boston Scott, uh, Kenneth Gainwell day. I'm all for Boston in the Scott day with the Eagles. Remember, the Eagles' rushing attack has been uh, kind of their calling card the second half of the season here, and if whether Hertz is out there or not, they're still going to try to run the ball, especially against this depleted. Washington front you don't want to see a second Gardner Minshew game I don't care I'll I'm fine with that but they're still gonna run the ball even with Gardner yes um are we both gonna take the Eagles in this one as well <laughs> I just don't know what to preview here no
0: screw it Washington's somehow gonna cover a seven-point line even with if no they're players. gonna
1: make the Super Bowl they have to so you it's gotta screw with that that's true I'll take Philly to cover that this being Sunday.
0: said last week I picked Dallas as an emotional hedge for 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 that of the cash is coming in on Philadelphia, which is another reason the line is shifting in that direction.
1: They're they're seeing the COVID list. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few? No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Tennessee Titans at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Titans favored by two at Pittsburgh. The Steelers coming off of a I don't want to even call it heartbreak. They almost made the ridiculous comeback just against a, the Minnesota just Vikings.
0: Coming off an insane game, is, is about the totality of that. I don't I don't understand, I don't know what to do with these games that are completely a tale of two halves. We're like what do you take from that? Like, it's, probably all, you got it, annihilated. it's probably all evened out. at this. It all evens out. You got absolutely annihilated in the first half. You should have been down by like 40 points. And then you almost executed a last-second comeback. So do you take the positive out of that and go, well, we came back against a good team and almost got it done. Or do you like, what the hell is wrong with you? You got destroyed for 30 minutes of
1: football. I, you, you just went full head ball coach with that one. You kind of dropped the Southern accent herb. out there. Yeah. Not him, just like the... Like your quintessential oh, Brian Kelly head ball coach. Yeah, you went a little Brian Kelly on that one. Uh, you know, when in Rome. The, uh, when, when the Steelers got... Went in the bayou. <laughs> when the Steelers got wrecked up front in the first half. I want to say like, oh, the Vikings offensive line really dominated, right? Uh, they were just like, the Steelers weren't even lining up correctly. It looked like they couldn't even get aligned. And it was like, hey, four... We got four players trying to, you know, stop six blockers in Dalvin Cook. Like the math just did not check out. Uh, The Steelers, they did a much better job in the second half, you know, getting aligned and covering gaps in the run game. But Tennessee, uh, as they're awaiting Derrick Henry to come back, still, I think, has to run the ball enough, right? Enough to create those one-on-ones on on the outside. But Tennessee can have some success in the run game because the Steelers have just been pretty poor against the run this year.
0: Yeah, they have been. Um Tennessee's offensive line, you know, hasn't looked like the same unit since they lost Eric Henry, but it was run blocking better last week against Jacksonville for whatever that's worth. So, yeah,
1: you know, the Steelers are coming off this ridiculous Thursday night game. The Tennessee the Titans are coming off of like an exhibition game against a horrible Jacksonville team with like the, you know, coach that they just fired. Yeah,
0: not ideal. So, does
1: that can they can that hold up
0: this week? Like can they actually have that successful run blocking again against a better defensive front, albeit one that had its own problems, you know, last week against the Vikings. You're supposed to keep talking here. Oh, supposed to keep talking? My bad. What's going on? We've got some... Okay.
1: Gonna, see, now Tyler's going to fix my cable. I mean, this is great podcasting That's right now. That's what we now. do. You have to let people understand what's happening.
0: You do. Well, look, there's a whole bunch of people listening to this that can't see Tyler walking into the shot and fixing your microphone. Well, because I can't
1: do it. I'm so, well, not capable of no, doing it true. myself. So that is a, a factor. Where's T.J. Watt's injury status, too? That's the other piece here. Pittsburgh's strength is – thank you, Tyler. Pittsburgh's <laughs> strength is rushing the passer. T.J. Watt with the groin injury, he was limited in Wednesday. He's questionable as well. Big Ben's questionable? Come on. He's not really questionable. I think he's going to go. Big Ben always I think that's always just goes. describing his play. <laughs> big Ben's play is questionable. He's coming off two pretty good games. After all, the turnover he played last Thursday Minnesota. he made he made some At least big in time the second throws. half. Yeah, he made some throws. Pectoral slash shoulder. Ben just loves that. He feeds off that. He's got to have the record for most times questionable and end up uh, and still played, right? Most limps and hobbles and lists of injuries. We got to get like a list of all his injuries, like on like one of those yeah, like the skeletons where you just yeah, like the Baker Mayfield thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that every week with him. Weird, like, that's going to be in soon. Oh, yeah? Uh, so it would just be everything bets. for Roethlisberger. Yeah, like, like the whole, whole body's body red. Yeah. Um, so is questionable. Um, but TJ Watt, I think, is is really the key here. You know, because they're they rely they're relying more on their defensive front. Cameron Hayward's having a great year. But they're relying more on that defensive front this year. And uh, they got to get some pressure because the secondary isn't great.
0: In Pittsburgh. David Questenberry is kind of, he's grading well. His run-blocking grade is off the charts, but he's given up 33 pressures, nine of which have been sacks. Of his pressures, 19 have either knocked the quarterback
1: down or sacked him. Yikes. Yeah, and that's where pretty terrible. That's where Watt would be rushing. Yeah. Um, I think the Titans, are they just a, a system right tackle team? They, just keep, right they tackle. just keep churning out good right tackle play. Dennis Kelly, Jack Conklin, everybody's a good right tackle. In Tennessee, except Isaiah Wilson, yeah, they could not turn Isaiah Wilson. To three be fair, snaps. he never actually tried to play right. Maybe he would have been good. Yeah, the, we'll always have those threes. Well, who had a better tenure, Isaiah Wilson with the Titans or Urban Meyer with the Jaguars? I
0: thought that um, you know people brought up Antonio Brown's Raiders career. Yeah, I think Antonio Brown's Raiders tenure and Urban Meyer's Jags coaching tenure are the same. They're like the player equivalent of the coaching. Like yeah. those are the same gigs where it's just so ridiculous. And by the end of it, you could read literally anything, put in a report and believe it. <laughs> yes. You know, oh, Antonio Brown froze his feet off with cryogenics. Of, of course, course naturally. Yeah. Oh, he spray painted his helmet. So we'd be able to use some outlawed geriatric system
1: that they have banned because it's, yeah, of course he did. Like you would believe anything at that point. I need to see the tail of the tape now. I need to see AB with the Raiders urban but with, with oh the
0: urban meyer just booted his kicker in the ass and called him a dipshit of course he did
1: of course like that's the world we're living in now that story Things have gotten so insane that you're just like yeah sure that story came across as urban so the story is like uh we we gotta do this right <laughs> uh jake lambo he's stretching josh lambo josh lambo sorry i mean, i don't know any kickers no lambo urban kicks him says make your effing kicks dipshit and uh Lambeau was like, oh, he doesn't even call the specialist by names and stuff. It just it feels like that's like Urban's humor. Like that was him trying to be like That was it? That, that to me, I read it as that was his way of kind of being like a little funny and a player's coach, but serious. And then when Lambeau said, you know, don't don't effing kick me, and Urban yelled back at him, like oh, then it then it got more contentious. I really think that's that's Urban Meyer, like, he wrote a book on leadership, but he read the book on leadership, <laughs> which was like, if you're a football coach, walk around during stretch and, and joke with your players. And that was, like, Urban's way of, like, I'm going to kick my kicker, tell him to make his kicks, not talk to him by name, and ha, 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 he's getting out with his players coach. Yeah,
0: he wrote a book on
1: leadership. He did. <laughs> I was gifted. So I was gifted the Urban Meyer book on leadership. it's um, amazing. From my wife, Kelly. Come I think on. The Kelly, can- your judgment
0: is questionable. The kicking thing might have been an attempt at humor, but I think the idea that he just calls specialists as kicker, punter, or long snapper, I think that's just him not believing those players are worth his time.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's not, that's not him being funny. That's him being like, um, football guy, uh, you know, don't talk to specialists, you know, don't do that. Uh, when I was on with Ramon Foster and the group in Nashville, they were reading excerpts from the Urban Myers leadership book this morning as I was getting on the on the radio, sorry, uh, we just took all of our daily content. And no, no, this is, we could talk about this for hours. We're good. We could. We got plenty. We could. Which game are we talking about? Uh, Where are we? We cleared uh, Tennessee. Pittsburgh. We're, we just, We It's the Tennessee game because the the Titans just demoralized the Jaguars. They were the ones who knocked Urban out of. The they retired Urban. Yes, they got him out of there. Uh, Tennessee by two. Where are you leaning in this one on the road in Pittsburgh?
0: Uh, I'm going with Tennessee. I I like they. I really like the coaching job that um, Mike Vrabel has done. I think they continually sort of show up and overperform expectations despite, again, another team that's like been wrecked by injuries, had a lot of what makes them them taken away, and they still show up.
1: Is he almost like the next Mike Tomlin? The next Mike Tomlin. That was about the comparison I made earlier this year. Mike Vrabel's the guy who's just going to continue to just exceed expectations year over year.
0: His... So Mike Tomlin gives these really thoughtful and, like, interesting answers in press conferences and stuff. Whereas Mike Frable just seems to get, like, upset and storm out. You see him... I'm not... Somebody I'm, was, not everything's the same. They claim Zach Cunningham, right? And he was like, I'm not talking about Zach Cunningham for two weeks because he's not eligible yet. And, like, two or three questions into this, they were like, but could you just tell us a little bit about his skill set? He's like, this is ridiculous. He just walks off the screen. Oh, I didn't see the that. The press That's conference great. lasted, like, 90 seconds. Like, I mean okay, I understand that if you said I don't want to talk about him and you get three questions, you'd be a little bit annoyed. On the other hand, of course they're going to ask you about him. You just signed him. Like, these guys have to fill, you know, column inches in the paper or whatever. It, it, I don't know. I just, you
1: know, doesn't really feel like a reason to storm off. The man didn't want to get into it. He didn't. He My didn't Vrabel to Tomlin it. comp is more, you know, Tomlin's had bouts where he's done some smart things, going for two more than you normally would and all these different things but tomlin has gotten the most out of his team i think vrabel has the ability to just be around for a while getting the most out i of his
0: think team. they're the best of the old school style coaches like the guys that are embracing the sort of the way you always did it with physicality and with like they're the best you know of that last sort of generation of old school coach as opposed to the guys that are you know pushing the analytics and the science and the, you know, all those kinds of things and trying to get things done in that way. It's not, the, these are not necessarily mutually exclusive. You don't have to do things in that new cutting edge. Like, you can still get it done if you're an old school coach, if you're good enough.
1: I'm going to go with the original Mike Tomlin. The OG Mike one. Tomlin. Yeah. So I think Tomlin's going to, uh, I think I'll take the Steelers to win in cover. Okay. The two. The Steelers, as of right now, are the 11th seed. At six six and one, but the teams ahead of them, there's five teams that are all seven and six. So it's close, but there's a lot of teams to jump. Colts, Bills, Browns, Bengals, and Broncos are all seven and six. The Steelers, with that that tie against the Lions, looming large. You can't say eleventh seed like that's a thing. They're in the hunt. That's the thing. Oh, oh sorry yeah they're in the we haven't said that in a while yeah uh, a lot of sober people doing the drinking game in the hunt. Mm. Uh, I'll take Pittsburgh okay. to, to cover. Rest of the slate
0: is uh questionable. So this is another game with a weird line. Is this another one where there's twenty eight people on COVID list that I'm not aware of? Are we are you looking at Falcons? Niners? Yeah. How's
1: that weird? How's it weird? Like Atlanta The Falcons aren't good and the Niners are way better with when they're all healthy. There's like a game between them. It's in San Francisco. Okay. Good. So? There's a game between them, but the Niners with this offense. Cooking the way they are, they're just a better team. Niners by nine over the Falcons is the line. I yeah. think that's a lot.
0: I think that the Atlanta Falcons. So the one thing that this game sort of screams to me is, has there ever been a game with as many like freakish, unique athletes in it as this one? Just on offense, just the playmakers, right? George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Kyle Buschek, uh, Brandon Iyuk. On the Falcons, you've got Kyle Pitts, the unicorn, uh, Cordero Patterson, the best like freak show multi-position guy in the NFL. You've got all these, like, unique playmakers, and they're going to be
1: facing each other. The 49ers just offensive grade is fourth in the NFL. Just okay. overall grading, right behind the Bucks, right ahead of the Rams. I mean, this Niners offense, we've talked about it a ton. They're humming, man. The way they're tapping into Debo and Iuke and Kittle and all that. That's why the line is so strong. A couple of years ago, they played I believe it was in San Francisco. It was the 2019 year. That was when the Falcons were horrible. And the Niners were a Super Bowl caliber team. And the Niners, I remember the Falcons lost like at the goal line. Was it Julio trying to score at the goal line? He was about inches short uh, to, to either tie the game or to win it, whatever it was. Um, so yeah, the Falcons are capable of keeping it close. The Falcons are kind of like the Broncos to me, where it's like week to week, hit or miss. I think overall, the Falcons aren't a great roster, but they have these weeks where they Kind of hang tough in there and, and play well. I don't. I don't know if this is one of those. I'm liking the trending Niners, the team that nobody, nobody wants to play them. Come January, nobody wants to play the 49ers. Come January, yeah, they're the team. Okay. PFF NFL Daily this
0: week we talked about it. Yeah, um, I I just think this is an interesting game. But like I, you, betting on the Falcons is always a bad idea. As soon as you do that, they let you down. They down to nine. Has this changed since you typed it in? I don't know. The green line page appears to have changed since I typed it in. No,
1: it's not. Did I say nine and a half earlier? Maybe I just misread
0: it. Um, but I, I think this is a closer game than that line. I understand that the 49ers are hot. They're cooking on gas right now. They are, you know, those dominant playmakers that they have on offense are doing a really good job. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't had a bad game in a while. He's had games where he's made some mistakes, but he hasn't played badly really since that start of the season where it was ugly and right up right up to the point where they threatened his job essentially from that moment on he's played well I suppose yeah that that moment like it's almost like the Aaron Rodgers thing right where Jimmy G was just immediately inspired by the threat to his job dangling over him now green line says nine and a half
1: what am I what's happening here
0: I don't know um whereas Matt Ryan has sort of you know been Matt Ryan I just this is an interesting game to me and I think yeah the 49ers are a better team but I like the Falcons to cover it.
1: Did we just push an update to greenline This is what I'm
0: saying everything's weird.
1: That's they just pushed an update in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the show here. Well you should probably get over there. I mean I'm I'm trying to find some of the stuff that I usually look at but uh, if you are an elite user over at pff.com go check out the new upgraded greenline. Oh the depth. Did they just push the depth charts into the you get the lineups front and center here. You got the uh most common bets. Where are my ELO rankings is what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah, the power rank. There we go. They're just kind of off to the side. It's very widgety. Mm. You get some cool widgets in there. This probably looks a lot better on your phone now. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. We're, we're definitely pushing pushing for more mobile stuff. But uh the power ranking of the Niners 9th and The Falcons 26th. That's why it's nine and a half. And now it's nine and a half, not nine. (laughs) Where are you going here, man? I told you Atlanta to cover. All right. Give me the Niners. Give me the Niners. I don't like the Falcons on the road. Okay. It's fine. Uh, Any other good games here? This is the best remaining game of this. Two pretty good games remaining here. I think Minnesota Vikings at the Chicago Bears. We get some more Bears primetime. Hashtag blessed. Uh, The Justin Fields discourse will continue. He Mm -hmm. played played all right the other night with his uh, busted ribs. And uh, this is the game. Why are you signing Kirk Cousins? It's a big contract to go win on primetime. This is why you
0: signed Kirk Cousins? This this game?
1: Yes. Hmm. I say that every week.
0: Yeah. I don't know that it is. But all right. Um, Yeah, like I – The Justin Fields thing is interesting. Um, Every week, he's going to be interesting to watch just because, you know, he's got a crazy amount of talent. He has by far the highest big-time throw rate of any of those rookies. He also has one of the lowest accuracy rates of any of those rookies, which is interesting because, you know, the Justin Fields thing in college was that guy was absurdly accurate. Um, And obviously, you don't lose the ability to just hit a target between college and the NFL, you know, unless you – Unless he didn't practice with the NFL balls, right? Remember when Lamar Jackson couldn't throw for like the first few months of his career because he hadn't been practicing with NFL footballs? So I doubt that's the reason for Justin Fields suddenly becoming inaccurate. I suspect it's what happens when all of the things you're comfortable with disappear. And now instead of just dropping back, looking at a guy hitting the target, now you have to think about, uh uh-oh, the offensive line's breaking down. What am I reading? Where am I looking? Like all these things, and all of a sudden, those are the things in your brain, not just like not just the comfort of dropping back and hitting a target. So, but because of all those reasons, like inaccurate but high big time throw rate, high ability to take off, make plays on the ground with his legs, he's a really interesting and fun player to watch. Like that is that is a recipe for entertainment. Um, and then the flip side, you have Kirk Cousins, who is almost the opposite. Like just the Kirk Cousins' baseline of dropping back, hitting a target, throwing the football in the right place is insanely high. But there's always still a little bit missing you know, here and there that sort of takes him away from being a truly great player. But the baseline is really fun to watch because that guy is able to drop back and just fire a ball and hit his receiver in the hands. And it's incredibly impressive seeing a guy that good at such a specific skill. So I think the two quarterbacks – are like genuinely fascinating to, to watch in a game.
1: Yeah, I, I like the way you described fields and accuracy because I think we always talk about accuracy and it, and it seems like this binary skill, right? You can either throw the ball to a spot or you can't. But because it's football and there's moving targets, it's not like other sports where things don't move that I won't mention. If it, it is football where, where there's so many other variables, to throw an accurate pass, you do need to be mentally on point as in knowing what you're seeing, knowing where you're going with the ball, then you tie your footwork to your throw and all that stuff. So there is more to accuracy than just, like, the act of throwing. It's a lot of stuff that does lead up to that as well. And I think that's why, that's why we've seen Josh Allen improve it. He, didn't necess- he improved his ability to throw the ball, but he also improved the footwork. He improved decision-making, knowing where he was going with the ball. And uh, understanding of the system really helps accuracy as well. Um, so there are, those are those places you're talking about, like, with fields. Uh, Cousins was interesting last week because he had a couple, you know, at least one turnover-worthy play. You know, had a, a pick. Was it pick six that led, pro the, the Steelers back into it, right? Um, but he also had just a beautiful bomb to kind of you know slow down the Steelers' comeback in the second half. Cousins has thrown the ball extremely well this year, and even though him and Justin Jefferson have missed on a few connections, they like they were just missing the other day. Uh, and Cousins had missed him a few times back in that Niners game a few weeks ago. They just – they Justin Jefferson's just one of the most dangerous weapons in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So he will continue to be that. He's tough to cover. He's, he, he will get open against man coverage. He's got a good feel for zone. And that's what I think always makes the Vikings the most dangerous is you have the ability for this one receiver to take over and put points on the board. And Cousins can get the ball to him more often than not. So um, – The other part of the Bears story that I think is underrated in this whole Matt Nagy thing and everything is their roster's just gotten worse. Their defense has gotten worse and worse and worse. Say what you want about Matt Nagy. I'm not going to go to great lengths to defend him. But the Bears haven't won four games just because Matt Nagy just suddenly became a horrible coach. This offense uh, has gotten worse. The defense especially has gotten worse particularly when you go back to like when they were the division winner in 2018 like they won the division in 2018 with Mitchell Trubisky playing number 30 in the NFL type of quarterback right um so the Bears just aren't good defensively I don't think they're going to have I don't think they're going to slow down this Minnesota offense they,
0: they would desperately like to have Jason Peters in this game. I think if they don't have him, that's a real problem, even against a defensive line like Minnesota's that doesn't have the pass rush that they had at the start of the year. Um, you know, Jason Peters versus Tevin Coleman, presumably they're the rookie. Tevin Coleman, Tevin Jenkins. Jenkins. There you go.
1: If you put Tevin Coleman, that would tackle. go badly, badly,
0: Trouble. very badly. Um, so Tevin Jenkins at left tackle versus Jason Peters, I think, is a material difference to the kind of day that Justin Fields is going to have if they have to go with the rookie against even Minnesota's pass rush. Um, I think that's that's going to be something that he's going to find it really difficult to overcome.
1: Where are you leaning in this one? I'm going to I'm going to go Minnesota covering the three and a half here. Uh, I made the I, I tweeted when they were up twenty seven. Minnesota is obligated, it's in their contract, to make this a one-score game.
0: That was the stupid thing about that game, is that, like, everybody had some variant of that tweet. Like, yeah. I tweeted when they were up so probably the same amount that, like, oh, this is going to make the inevitable, you know, like the, the Vikings getting this to be a one-score game from here would be an all-time piece of artwork. You know what I mean? And then they did. kind of was. Everybody had one of those tweets. Like, that's, that's how Vikings the Vikings are, that even went up, 27, absolutely stomping to death, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the world was like, oh, how are they going to screw this up from here? And that
1: was how. Uh, Which (sighs) is why me taking Minnesota by three and a half feels crazy. I want to make this contingent
0: on Jason Peters. Can I do that? Sure. Okay. If Jason Peters plays, Chicago covers. If Jason Peters doesn't play, they don't. You think
1: the left tackle is that important? I do.
0: This left tackle. Yeah. I'm more to the point, this
1: backup. All right. So Chicago, put an asterisk in there, please. There you go. I'll put it in my... my. We've got your notes. Yeah. Uh, make sure our team knows that this is only if, if Jason Peters play. Peter's it's all contingent. contingent upon the 40-year-old left tackle <laughs> is determining your pick. Hey, he's not 40 yet. He, oh, he's our age. 39. Right. Jason, actually, he's like two weeks older than me or something. We're, we're close. I wonder if he could throw 74. Probably. Oh, no. Is that a reference? Yeah. No, that's you just lose. a, a ball-throwing reference.
0: No, no, it's a reference.
1: All right, I want to call an audible. I want to go Seattle-Rams, and then we'll do the all the 10-point spread games.
0: All the 10-point spread games.
1: Uh, Seattle Seahawks at the Los Angeles Rams. Rams favored by four and a half. Coming off the great Monday night football performance, Matthew Stafford balling out. Uh, can Seattle pull the upset here? Russ also looked much better last week. Yeah, it's in a dome. Yeah, it's against Houston, but made a bunch of those those big-time throws. Missed a few, too, but made the big-time throws that have made Russ special.
0: Yeah, he looked a lot closer to being the old Russell Wilson that we've seen since the mallet finger. Um, I'm curious, like, can Seattle figure out a game plan to stop Aaron Donald? Because we, A, they never do. Like, Donald always has one of his best games of the season against the Seahawks, chiefly because the Seahawks always have bad offensive linemen, right? So you might be able to hide them for some games that aren't against Aaron Donald, but the second you run up against him, bad offensive linemen just have nowhere to hide and they're getting wrecked. So that's part of your issue. But we saw what happens just this past Monday night if you don't have some kind of game plan to stop Aaron Donald, if you don't have the guys to do it, or if you don't have the plan to do it, he can wreck your game on his own. So that's one big thing for Seattle. And then the other issue is, okay, it's not quite what it used to be, and it's a sort of a a facsimile of the system that's trying to get by without, you know... um, without sort of firmware support from the original. But like this this Rams defense, in theory, still runs the system that has caused all these uh, aggressive quarterbacks that thrive off the deep ball problems, of which Russell Wilson is one of them. So, you know, can this Rams defense still keep him in check and and force him to take the underneath stuff and force him to be more patient where the mistakes happen?
1: Yeah, the Rams... The Rams were a massive issue for Russell Wilson last year. Remember, yeah. he was on pace to have one of the highest grades we've ever seen. He was going to throw 70 touchdowns and all that stuff. He faced the Rams three times in the second half last year. Didn't play well in any of them. Now, Russ also got hurt in the first matchup against the Rams, and he was on pace for a much better game. He had five big-time throws on 19 dropbacks, which is great, mm-hmm. um, before he got hurt and Geno Smith came over and nearly came back and pulled off the upset in, the, uh, in relief. So that's what we've seen. And, the, and the, the Rams don't do as good of a job of uh, preventing the deep ball this year as they yeah. did last year, but that was where like Seattle needed answers, right? was the, quote-unquote, easier stuff, the underneath stuff, the, the stuff I described the Saints doing really well at, right? Throwing, uh, you know, outmanning the defense, outflanking the defense with underneath stuff. Um, Seattle's offense, again, a little big play driven, big play heavy. That's Okay. But they're still finding their way as far as a lot of the other stuff goes. Um, are the Rams good? The, the other piece here, we, we talked about the McVeigh second half of the year adjustments. There's only two weeks of evidence of good, right? One was Jacksonville, one was Arizona in a big game. Have they been back on track here, or is it just, hey, Stafford's just playing a cleaner brand of football, and if he does that, they're going to be fine? Yeah. Rams. It's just posing a hypothetical question or a rhetorical question even. So don't answer it, Sam. It's just no, rhetorical. No, I wasn't planning on it. Stafford had a 90 grade the other night. Uh, by the way, preseason, pre-season Matthew Stafford takes are back, back on track here. Of so course. They are back on track. Yep. After that 90 grade, he is now QB10, PFF grades. Tenth overall, 81.4 grade if he has a couple more decent games he can he can get to that career high of 82.6 which is what we predict I predicted in 80s grade I predicted a career high and better production right now we're on point that's where we are well the funny Matthew thing Scott.
0: is after that game everybody's preseason uh takes are back on point like if you're if you thought that Matthew Stafford is going to be MVP and the greatest quarterback ever You're immediately back on the bandwagon after that game. And if you're of the, you know, he's going to grade slightly better than usual, maybe put up much better numbers and be more or less like this is what we're dealing with, you're also back on
1: track. So everybody wins after that. So sometimes the mid-tier quarterback or the high mid-tier quarterback like a Stafford makes everybody wrong or makes everybody right. So just give it some time. Anyway, four and a half in this one for the Rams. Is Is that too much? With Seattle, they like to play their close games as well.
0: They do. Um, I just don't know if they have enough to keep this close, given the Rams are a significantly better team.
1: Wait, is Ramsey out again?
0: Oh, look, these are the COVID people. That's a a lot lot of them. OBJ as well. Ah, that's a lot of players.
1: That's right. OBJ just came down. Zach healthy?
0: You think Zach's going to play? I think that's
1: unlikely. He could be... uh, Back up to John Wolford, QB three, QB
0: three, yeah, the exactly. guy that doesn't dress and just sits there looking important with the with the blue tablet.
1: Jordan Fuller, starter. Daryl Henderson. Um, all right, I'm
0: going to go with Russ keeping it close. Rams win, Seahawks cover.
1: Yeah, I think I think Wilson's going to play better football down the stretch here, right? I think in you know if if, if Seattle hadn't taken this lull, you know maybe this this spread is tighter. Um, Russ is still Russ and capable of, of taking over games so I'll take Seattle as well and then we've got a bunch of um, some big spreads I don't know how much we want to discuss here Arizona Cardinals at the Detroit Lions poor Lions fans last year at this time I used to tell Jets fans hey this is when Trevor Lawrence is playing mm. Lions fans I don't even know what to... Aiden Hutchinson watch Aiden It's and, just and he's not playing Aiden's good he's very good that doesn't turn a team around though it's the problem. Yeah. A defensive end doesn't turn a team around. Also, they're, they're, you know, they're not playing right now. so Yeah, there's nothing to watch. Yeah. Uh, so Arizona coming off their loss, 13-point favorites in the Dome. Uh, New Hopkins out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, anything you're looking for? in this particular one? No, just it feels like a kind of bounce-back game for
0: Arizona, right? They, they're they a little bit like Buffalo to me in that if you're a team that has, you know, that is constructed in a certain way and is able to, you know, deploy an Aaron Donald, that kind of thing, you can upset Arizona. Uh, if you're Detroit, you don't have those things, you can't. And the Cardinals against a team like that are just going to show that they're a much better side, kind of like the way when Buffalo, you know, face New Orleans and it's like you you're not really built to do what the Colts did or what the Patriots did. They just rolled, right? And they, they ran right over them. So this kind of feels like that. Like Potential, you know, if you're Arizona, this is one of the first setbacks of the season. You, you could have some wobbles and you lose a bit of confidence. But this is like a proper get-right spot to get back on, on track and just, you know, cruise.
1: Uh, Kyle Murray, the other night we mentioned the volatility there. Four or five big-time throws. Bunch of turnover-worthy plays, which we hadn't seen a ton of. Um I think it will be a little interesting to see like they've played without DeAndre Hopkins before this year and they're more equipped. Kyler hasn't though, right? Uh, I don't know if I he has. I think they learned. coincided. I
0: yeah. think both they I think they missed them both for the same weeks. True.
1: So that that's one thing I want to see. I, I the Arizona like if this happened last year I'd say okay this is big trouble. Yeah. Because of how much they relied on DeAndre Hopkins. They don't as much anymore with A.J. Green and with what Christian Kirk has done throughout the year and what Zach Ertz has been a really nice addition since they traded for him and, of course, Rondell Moore. So want to see what this Arizona offense does without DeAndre Hopkins. I think they are certainly equipped to do this better than ever. It's in a dome. So I think Kyler's going to throw the ball well. See if Jared Goff can uh, have one of those uh, he's untankable type of games. <laughs> we mm. haven't seen many of them no. from Goff. Like one game here here and there so 13 points uh arizona by the way also they've got that whole streak on the line undefeated on the road winning by 10 plus hmm. i think they do it again Are they gonna cover the 13 though yes all right we keep picking a lot of the same teams i'm going arizona as well dallas cowboys at the new york giants dallas favored by 10 and a half uh a lot of fun stuff to look at here. We 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 had a daily on Dak Prescott and his little bit of a slump that he's going through here. Uh, our own guy Seth Galina had a whole thread on the good things that Dak Prescott did in the game the other day, and I think that's it's important to note. Like when you're evaluating football players, even in a game where the guys don't have great grade, like they could still do a lot of good stuff. It's just the bad stuff that Dak did, which was. Uh, turnover-worthy plays and bad turnover-worthy plays, including a pick six mm. in the fourth quarter that let Washington back in the game, those end up, they just weigh more. Um, but it's, So I, I do think Dak's in a little bit of a slump, but when you break down the slump, it's three, four, five, six plays a game, right? It's a handful of plays. So you can easily come out of that. I expect Dak to do that soon. And then with Dallas's defensive front with Mike Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, and Randy Gregory... Can't wait to watch those guys all play together a lot more down the stretch here.
0: Yeah, the hype for uh, Micah Parsons starting to get out of control. He's now in MVP conversations, Don't, bring it, apparently. don't even bring it up. Don't even Just saying, it's bad. It's, it's bad. Wrong. You can't... This is the problem with analysis, is that you can never, like, you, you try and be, what's the most bold I can be here while still maintaining a shred of reality? It's like, oh, okay, Micah Parsons is... Is elevating himself past Rookie of the Year, now he's in the Defensive Player of the Year conversations. You're like I, I think that's a pretty strong statement. All of a sudden, somebody comes out and is like, the dude's MVP. Like, come on. Like, no, he isn't. Like, you're taking it too far, and now you've just ruined the discourse for everybody else because nobody can talk seriously about Defensive Player
1: of the Year anymore because you've moved everything over here. Just moving those goalposts with ridiculous <sighs> takes. Yeah. No, Micah Parsons is not... The MVP.
0: No, I he mean, it's is the same conversation we had with the TJ Watt thing, right? Is he a quarterback? No. Then no, he's not MVP.
1: The end. Next. Is he the best quarterback in the league? No. Um, yes, Micah Parsons has been fantastic this year. Um, and again, like watching that trio, because Randy Gregory's is rushing the passer the best he ever has in his career as well. DeMarcus Lawrence has always been, uh, not always been good, but over the last three or four years, been very, very good. Um, so that feels like, uh, man, that's a tough, that's a tough front. Get a, get a, I continue to want to just see how Dan Quinn deploys those guys, especially in uh, nickel and dime situations.
0: Yeah. Um, Dallas has the most turnover-happy defense in the NFL. Obviously, the, the magnet that is Trayvon Diggs, but they've had a ton of other forced turnovers as well. Mike Glennon, who I would assume is still the starting quarterback at this point. Sounds like the Giants, are going to shut down Jones for the rest of the year? Yeah, I would, they don't seem to be able to know what exactly is wrong with his neck at which point you don't want to mess with neck injuries. Right. So if it's Mike Glennon, again, he has one of the highest turnover-worthy play rates in the NFL with eight on like a hundred attempts so far. (laughs) Like, it's pretty bad. (laughs) So Mike Glennon out there heaving the ball in the general direction of receivers just hoping for a miracle feels like a recipe for more Trayvon Diggs interceptions.
1: We have uh, Kadarius Toney on the COVID list. John Ross is out. On the COVID list. It's well. really, it our list. Yeah. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez, Aaron Robinson. Uh, yeah. I like Dallas because the Glennon factor. Have we, we may have actually seen the end of the Daniel Jones era. It's possible. Yeah. It is possible. New regime, uh, a new front office, right? Potentially a new coach could be complete, you know, turnover. In New York, we may have seen the end of Daniel Jones uh, with the Giants so far. We, I don't know. But my, Mike Glennon, even getting the 10.5. Yeah, I like Dallas in this one. Turnover prone. To, I, I like the way he broke it down. Plus that pass rush, man. That, how, how are the Giants going to block all those pass rushers? Yep. I just don't see it. So that, I think this could be a beatdown. Dak gets back on track and uh, breaks out of his slot. Like the only thing that could stop them covering that number, I think,
0: is if Dak Prescott does what he did last week, which is like randomly heave a pick six, right? To somebody
1: Dallas was—I mean, Dallas was ready to beat the football team by multiple scores, right? And uh, I, do, I don't see Dak making those types of bad decisions again to let them back in. Uh, Buffalo Bills favored by ten and a half over the Carolina Panthers at home. It's going to be about twenty-five degrees in Buffalo. Don't know what the wind is going to look like. Let's check out the wind. See if this affects anything. Uh, it, Eleven miles an hour. So it shouldn't. be Eleven. Dangerous.
0: That's fine. That's not a problem. That's not um, crazy. This seems like the kind of game where, like, you know, what the the analysis that I gave for Arizona is the same kind of deal, right? Compared Arizona to Buffalo in the first place, this feels like a game where Buffalo might look amazing. The Panthers' offensive line is horrendous. They, they're not going to be able to physically dominate the Buffalo defense the way a couple of teams have in recent uh, weeks. Generally speaking, the Panthers win with some speed on defense if they do. Um, or, and an offense as well with Christian McCaffrey, with DJ Moore, with Robbie Anderson. The Bills, generally speaking, beat inferior teams outside of Josh Allen's. When, when Josh <laughs> Allen doesn't have to face Josh Allen, the Bills as beat As long as Josh teams.
1: Allen. I mean, that's another great urban stat. He is undefeated against the AFC East. He beat the Bills and the uh, Dolphins. And, uh, and he has a Jets game coming up. And on foreign soil. Yeah, so he's undefeated in foreign soil, undefeated in the AFC East. If the London Silly Nannies get added to the NFL and join the AFC East, could be Urban's next landing spot. Hmm. I'm just saying he's got a history of beating AFC East teams. I mean, you're unlikely to to find too many other coaches that are undefeated in England. And the Silly nannies reference is only from Family Guy. I'm not making fun of anybody. It's a Family Guy reference. I see. We have already, by the way, not to go off track here. We never do that. No. We've gotten an email during the show here about my reference of the British Isles. Hmm. Doesn't like that. Well, one, you say it in a weird way, which doesn't help. I typed it, though. I typed it out in the uh, into the ether. I put it in Twitter. Oh, yeah. yeah. You also say it, though. Like, you know, right That's there. That's fine. But, like. Daniel O'Keefe, who tweeted us, or emailed us here, is not, he's not angry because I said it the wrong way. It's because I even referenced it. Mm. And I, I learned everything I know about European uh, geography, geography from you.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's technically legit. It's just not usually a term people use. That's why I do it. Yeah. It's my level of humor. Uh-huh. This is, I, this is why you're not the funny one.
1: Debatable. So, you think Buffalo crushes them here too? We're yeah. We're going to take favorites. I kind of think here.
0: Buffalo is going to roll. I just, the only way, like, it wouldn't take some sort of miraculous game from Cam Newton on the ground, you know, QB power stuff to, to get this done. It sounds like the Panthers are still going to stick with this rotating quarterback crap, which, by the way, makes my multiple quarterback system thing earlier in the year prediction. I, I win. It wasn't the 49ers, it was the Panthers are doing it now with PJ and Cam uninspiring Which, pj and cam doesn't that sound like some sort of ridiculous qb duo like <laughs> combination
1: well, like an 80s sitcom yeah PJ, so, and cam.
0: pj and cam are not gonna get it done against buffalo's
1: defense even minus tredavious white i just yeah the bills are gonna roll give me buffalo buffalo getting back on track here get right game for the bills yep minus 10 and a half miami's 10 point favorites over the jets uh, jalen waddle just went on the covid list as well so we don't get to see him and that's significant it is it is we, uh, he's been a huge part of You know, look, if Tua is going to throw the ball underneath a ton, a lot of it has gone to Jalen Waddell. And, you know, he's created some yards after the catch. Tua is playing a good brand of football right now. Continues to get better and uh, grading pretty well. Uh, I I do want to see Miami open it up a little bit more. This might be the time against the Jets in this rematch here. Uh, And then, of course, Zach Wilson on the other side. He was the subject of a PFF NFL daily uh, is Zach Wilson cheeks? <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> yeah, that was the question we yeah, got see, asked. Yeah, I'm funny. So. Yeah. yeah. I, wow. I mean, now, to be fair, that's Austin's comment, not yours. He
1: yeah, was, yeah, but I had, to, I had to deliver it. You just repeated it. I had to deliver it. it. It's, it's
0: true. The no. delivery was solid. Contextual. Um, yeah, like so A, go listen to that. Are you saying yes, he is? No, no, I'm saying oh, okay. go listen to that for the discussion on whether Zach Wilson is cheeks. Um, but this game, th- this feels like if you're the Jets and you're sort of sitting there with like a lot of not not much good this year. Everything's kind of going south. You've got this real problem of, hey, our quarterback that we drafted, number two overall, looks like cheeks. Um, What are we going to do here? What's the problem? On the other side, Miami should kind of... It feels like that's a teaching tape for the Jets. Like, There's a lot wrong with Miami. Um, They have this terrible offensive line like not just bad but historically wretched the miami offensive line is one of the worst we have seen in 15 years worth of grading offensive lines it is horrendous so miami are running three times more rpos than the jets right tua it has one of the lowest average depths of target in the nfl the ball is coming out of his hands much quicker like tua is not an amazing quarterback by any stretch of the imagination but they have created a system that makes him Functional. And he's doing his part. Like he's executing what they're asking him to execute, even at the expense of being ridiculed by, you know, who was it? Uh old DB plays for last couple of weeks somebody was like, Oh, I could do that. I used On to? Play. Tour? Yeah. It's like I played high school quarterback. I could throw Sims it two yards criticize? to my left. No, Chris Simms said that Taysom Hill was a better quarterback than Tua. but because right, he had all the, the Tua folks. I forget right? who the DB was that said that, uh, Logan Ryan maybe, does that sound right? That he could throw three yards to his left as well. Like, but anyway, the point is, the, the Dolphins have created an offense that makes Tua functional and is working. The Jets haven't done anything to help Zach Wilson and they have a much better situation if you look at it their offensive line is significantly better receivers probably aren't as good but it's not like the receivers are catastrophic to the point where you're like yeah this can't function here I I just think that you know in scouting for this game the Jets might have like taken note of some of the things that Miami are doing and saying you know what we should actually fold all of this into our offense
1: yeah I'm going to use my Derek Carr take and kind of like flip it on its side, right? Like the Derek Carr thing that I say is uh, find a way to make him throw the ball down the field. Find a way. Stopping Zach (laughs) Wilson. No, not not, not throw the ball down the field, but find the way to get the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands. Okay. Get him to throw the ball in rhythm more often, right? Yeah. The stat I used on the podcast is one of the highest times to throw, which is usually – inflated by running around and scrambling and zach wilson's not doing that he's just holding the ball forever he's holding the ball longer than any quarterback on average now it's been a little bit better since he came back from injury but the thing that miami has said is like we can't block therefore get the ball out of Tua's his hands it's also to his skill set to do that um zach is more of a you know how you talked about Tua adjusting to nfl open mm-hmm. i think and I thought that was a fair point, right? He was coming out of Alabama where every, everybody was wide open and he had, you know, an ocean to throw from and two. Um, ocean's not the best one. But <laughs> Zach Wilson had massive pockets at BYU. Yeah. and uh, He never faced pressure, essentially. He never faced pressure. He had uh, immense room to step into. Now, he didn't have the best separation uh, in the world with his receivers, and he got it to them, but he never had to, like, operate from a pocket, right? He didn't have a sense of urgency at BYU. So the Jets, so just like Tua had to learn how to like throw guys open a little bit more, I think Zach Wilson needs to learn how to navigate. Uh, it's not even that the pockets are bad. Like you said, the, the pass blocking is good. They're 15th, despite the way the Jets have held held the ball so long. Yeah. So the pass blocking is fine, but you still don't have that same massive pocket to work from as he would at BYU. So how do you get him to just throw with a little bit more sense of urgency, a little bit more in rhythm, and I think that's what the Jets' goal should be here over these last few weeks. Getting, getting the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands. Now, half the battle is having receivers who get open quickly. And uh, Elijah Moore's done some good things. And Corey Davis is out for the season. He's not a great separator anyway. You have, you have guys who are capable of separating. Elijah Moore, uh, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Berrios. Like, those are quicker, quick separation type of guys. They have the people. I think, to, to make this work, assuming those guys aren't all on the COVID list, too. I need to check. They're not. Check. Good. Sometimes I say a name and I just cringe because I can't keep track of everybody. It's our job, but it's tough to keep track of everybody that's on the COVID list. Elijah Moore's on injured reserve. There we go. Yeah, but not the COVID list. But he could return. He is not on the COVID list. But more, they'd, they'd had a decent connection over the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to see there.
0: Yeah, um, the Jets are missing like some pretty important players to that offense, which obviously is not helping the Zach Wilson thing. Elijah Moore on the IR, Corey Davis, Hall of Famer, Real blow to the uh, Hall of Fame career, uh, Michael Carter. They're they missing a lot of players that would be pretty important to them functioning as an offense. Miami is not missing as many, but they're missing some important players as well. Waddle, uh, Miles Gaskin, I think is on the COVID list as well, though he's been on it for a while, so it's possible he can make it back. I think
1: it's tough to keep track of right now.
0: Yeah, um, but ultimately, I think like Miami are just doing a much much better job of scheming to help their young quarterback. And I think it's fair to say that, like, Tua is way better at this point as well, having struggled uh, through some issues. But despite their offensive line, I think they're a much better side right now. That being said, 10 points is a lot to cover for a team like Miami.
1: Yeah, that makes me kind of lean the Jets. The Jets' defense has just been atrocious, though. Yeah. Tua didn't have a ton of success against them a couple weeks ago, but they did have those couple big plays, right, where the the Jets just give up these big plays where it's either a busted coverage or it's just this lull. And um, that's, I mean, why they've been torched defensively. Um, I'm going to lean Jets here, though. I can't even, what is Green Line leaning here? I can't see. and then I, I don't know where to look yet in the new system.
0: Uh, I will also lean the Jets to cover. I just oh, I see there's a little value play on the Jets. I don't have faith that's to. what they're saying. I don't have faith for Miami to. You open, and I are going to have the same
1: record. This open up week. that kind of gap. And have the same record this week, basically. Um, is that there's only the only the Urban Bowl left? Yeah. Uh, by the way, last week in our picks, I always forget Thursday Night Football. I, I was nine and four for the second straight week. You were seven and six for the second straight week. Mm. How about okay. that? Um, is that all? Fifteen games. Once we hit this Texans Jaguars game, just yeah, this this game, and then we're out. The Texans the Jaguars were favored by two and a half at one point. I see it's up to four. Uh, did this line move with the firing? <laughs> God, I hope so. Is Vegas playing the, uh, the firing bump there, the, the, the new coach? The new coach bump? The new coach bump. Well, the new Darryl coach Bellen bump. takes over. The new coach bump or the urban left bump. Yeah. Whichever way you want, it, you Either want way, to Either way, there's a couple things moving in Jacksonville's favor. They're, they're favored by four over the Houston Texans. So you get a little Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills matchup. It really did, by the way. Like this change happened overnight in the wee hours. Interesting. Is that because of Daryl Bevel? Because Daryl Bevel, he was um, – didn't he win – in his first game as interim coach last year for the for the Lions, and then he lost four straight. I can we get our crack research baby. staff on that. I'm pretty sure we talked about this last year. Bevel gave him the one week bump. The Lions go and win and then they lost their last four.
0: Hmm. I mean I I could I could buy the idea of the weight being lifted off their shoulders. We've already seen this team show up randomly and beat Buffalo. I mean the Texans are pretty terrible. I could easily see them win in this game.
1: What do you uh I mean, all I want to see is Trevor Lawrence development here. It's he up to like,
0: five now?
1: It's up to five. Interesting.
0: Then, yeah, let's go. The man in Vegas, really. The man in Vegas. Has does, some information. The man in Vegas
1: does not love Urban Meyer's tenure for the Jacksonville Jacks. Like Was he just, like, not showing up for work at all? Or maybe showing up too much for, for work. That was, that yeah, was that's, the problem. that's the thing. Um, do we see a completely different... Does Trevor Lawrence get the new coach bump? Like, Bevel's been running the offense this whole year. So
0: that's the thing, right? Is it's like... You can't – if Urban Meyer was having that degree of influence in the offense, like, that seems – it's just difficult to see. Like, all of the issues that have been there in terms of making Trevor Lawrence just a nothing player so far this season, receivers running into each other, not in the right areas, like, the whole thing has been catastrophic. But was that Urban? Because in theory, Daryl Bevel has been the offensive coordinator. He must have had a fairly significant part of that. That can't change overnight, right? Suddenly everybody's on the same page running to the right place and
1: Trevor Lawrence is executing this yeah. thing like it's second nature. It still doesn't make Laquan Treadwell you're not your number one option and all that stuff. Uh, three more players going onto the COVID list for the football team here.
0: Cam, <laughs> now? Cam like, Curl.
1: Yeah, since we've been reporting here. Cam Curl, the latest, uh, biggest name, Tyler Lawson. Keith Ishmael, uh, two centers. Sweet. So Washington's going to be down to like their fifth string center this year. Move the game back.
0: Jags don't have anybody if uh, on the COVID list. It's good for them.
1: Well, I mean, there's that's the second best thing uh, Urban Meyer did during his tenure. COVID protocols, apparently. Yeah. I mean, they don't have anybody on the COVID list, <laughs> and he made a pay-per-view appearance. Good for Urban. Yeah, there we go. Good job. kept those kept those boys in line. So nobody wants to be around each other. So well, that's everyone's possibly, socially yeah, yeah. distanced. Uh, anyway, I think, I think we see a rejuvenated Trevor Lawrence. Monkey off his back. Hmm. Rejuvenated Trevor. Five, I'm calling a five big-time throw performance. Five big-time yep. throws. He's going to hit every cover two shot against this Texans defense. Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. I don't care how far the line moves. They're covering this thing. Jacksonville covering the five. Let's call it, we're going to use five as our line for this one.
0: Yeah. Okay, the line keeps going up. Um,
1: Josh Allen. Breakout game? Is he still healthy? I played season injuries. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Let's no. Um, the, the Texans Josh are going to keep it closer than five.
1: Josh Allen's questionable if he plays though. It's game over. Huge old. game. For Texans are going to keep it closer than five. All right. Tyrod future future backup and some other place next year.
0: Mm. The guy. Davis Mills show.
1: Davis Mills show. Davis Mills and Mike Glennon both playing football this week. It's a lot of knack out there. That's it for us. What a great show. I mean, this is probably the best one we've done since yesterday. Best one today, so far. I think so. Hmm. Uh, That's our week 15 preview. Don't forget, uh, thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to X-Chair. Thanks to DraftKings. Thanks to Manscaped, even though they're not on the docket this week. You know. Thanks to them anyway. We still love those guys. How about Manscaped? How about about Manscaped? Um, And also thanks to everybody who has or will donate uh, to the GoFundMe uh, for the Kentucky Relief Project. We will be pushing that money to where it needs to go and we'll be doing something fun on top of that yeah send us email us suggestions
0: because we still need to figure out what we want to do so nfl podcast singular at pff.com you'll find that email on our uh, bio of
1: the uh, twitter account as well but we still need ideas for the thing we can do and then the other place where we can use some feedback contact at pff.com Let us know what you love about PFF, what you don't love about PFF, what you want to see more of. Contact at PFF.com. This is more from, like, the uh, subscription standpoint. What types of things in the subscription or on the website are you most interested in? Would you love to see? um, Because your feedback is going to go into the big wish list. Tell them that Steve and Sam sent you so we can kind of organize the wish list by podcast. And uh, we'll see what what our team comes up with for the next season here, next year. So, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll have the Urban Meyer PFF NFL Daily. If you're not subscribed to that, go do that as well. We need a whole checklist of uh, what we need everybody to do here. Mm. Coming out of the show, but we thanks appreciate to all the things you do. We by appreciate the way. everybody, but you know, it's just we're just trying to connect with everybody as much as possible. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you on Monday, reviewing all of the Week 15 action.